Mark. I'm one of the elders here at Sola Church. We are in our series on Isaiah, um, so if you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles to them with you or um, your apps to Isaiah 33. We're going to get to that in just a minute. I've got a few uh, business items I'd like to talk about for just a few minutes, okay? And I promise I won't go too long. I shouldn't promise that. Um, I'll try not to go too long. There we go. Uh, so a couple things really quick. Um, the first one, uh, we just want to say thank you um, for your generosity as a people. Um, last year, our budget, uh, the way we set up our budget, we needed um, $80,310 for the year. Okay, so that's um, that was our annual budget. That's what we expected to bring in, um, and we felt like it was a, it was a good um a good guess, a good prognostication, um, and and as we got into the year, um, we, were, we were pretty close and we are pretty happy with that, but we ended the year actually uh, at $82,616, so we had a, a little over 2000 more come in than what we expected, so I just want to say thank you so much for your generosity, um, finance committee, I know that's, that's good news, uh, we've got, um, we're going to spend some time going through all the numbers for last year, you should be getting a giving report here in the next week or so. Um, um, just the detail you're given to make sure that that's accurate. You can um, obviously use that as a tax uh, deduction at tax time. I just want to say thank you. The last four months were our biggest giving months. Uh, if that continues, and we're in a really good place uh, for the coming year. Thank you for your generosity. Uh, again, the best way to give, or I should say the easiest way for us to process your giving is if you give online uh, by ACH, the ACH type deposit. Um, you can go to Sola.Church and just click the giving link uh, and set that up. Um, it only charges us 25 cents for every transaction as opposed to like a, a debit card, which takes a, a percentage of each transaction. So um, if you do that, that's great. For those of you that give by cash or check or you have you know, mail to the post office box, that's fine, too. We, we, we love that. We appreciate that. But um, if at all possible, it saves us some time and data entry and stuff like that uh, if you do it online. Secondly, uh, we had a meeting with all of our, our youth leaders. Um, so we collaborate for youth with Wilton Christian Church and Calvary Church in Littleton. Um, and we had a meeting yesterday to discuss uh, uh, basically the spring. So we planned out activities from February through August. We talked through some logistics, and I'm super, super excited for what we have available for our teens. I'll be meeting with Eric and Jess this week to finalize some plans around youth discipleship, too. Um, but I just wanted to let you know, um, man, there's some really good work being done there. Um, and uh, really looking forward to the next several months and, and what God's doing with our teens. And say thank you to, to Eric and Jess for being part of that. Jenny's done a lot of the organizing. So a lot of work going into that, and I appreciate that. Um, the next one. So we have, uh, we've been announcing this for a while, Eagle Lake Day Camp, and I wanted to take a minute and just explain to you what we're doing and why we're doing it, because this is a little bit different than um, anything we've done in past years. So in past years, we've kind of hopped on to uh, other churches' VBSs. Uh, we would find, I think uh, last year we did one with, uh, with Fellowship, where we went up to the city, uh, and it was in partnership with a, uh, a refugee organization, and we, we got to put our kids in proximity with a lot of the most vulnerable um, kids in our, in our in our city, uh, and we felt that was 
really valuable, and, and, and we still do. And so we wanted to look at ways we could do that um, without having to go to the city, not necessarily because it's, it's a long drive, but because we want to be in proximity with the vulnerable here in our own community. Um, so we are partnering with an organization called North Littleton Promise. North Littleton Promise works with the vulnerable, especially refugees and immigrants that are in Littleton um, and provides services. Um, it, it gives the gospel. Um, and so uh, we are partnering with North Littleton Promise, uh, Calvary Littleton, uh, Littleton Christian Church, and um, Centennial Covenant. I think I got them all right. Yes. Um, Centennial Covenant Church. The, the event is actually happen, happening at Centennial Covenant. Um, and so it's different than a VBS. So in, in, in the last few years, we take our kids to VBS. There's a, a marginal cost to it, um, but it's really something negligible, and it's not a big deal, and it's easy to... Um, it's easy to do that. This year, it's it's not necessarily just a BBS. It's an entire day. It's basically like, I think it's 8 to 4, 9 to 4, 8 to 4. It's a whole day. They're bringing in like bouncy castles and slipping slides and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so it's a full day camp, um, and it's a little bit more expensive, okay? So it's $200 a person normally. If you register before the end of this month, you get a $25 early bird discount. So it's $175 per child. Okay, so I, I get that there's a cost to that. I have five children, um, so I totally understand how after a while this starts to add up. Um, so what we've done is we've allocated some of our funds in our budget for the coming year. Uh, number one, to subsidize some kids from North Littleton Promise. Uh, we, want those, we want those kids to be able to go. We want be along with them. Um, but number two, we also want you, uh, we, we know that there are people in, in this congregation that would like to send their kids that might find it difficult to cover that cost, especially when they have multiple kids. So I would encourage you, um, register before the end of the month. It's only $25 deposit. That's all you have to put down ahead of time. Um, and if, if you believe that you're going to have trouble coming up with the rest of it, then please let us know. We've already had some donations specifically to sponsor kids to go to that. And we want to give more to be able to, be able to provide that to some of the North Littleton Promise kids. Um, Jenny brought her laptop today. Um, so we'll have it in the back at the end of the service. We'll have it open. If you want help walking through that registration process, then Jenny will be there to, to help you out with that. All right. Um, the last one, last announcement. Um, the gospel and mental health. So uh, at our last elders retreat, we, we sat down we, and we talked about adult equipping. Um, and in the past, we've done like uh, a Sunday school class at 9 in the morning before the service. And, and we did a series on justice. It was really good. Um, but it was really a challenge to pull off. It was a challenge for people to show up. Um, and, uh, and so we wanted something that maybe was a little bit uh, more accessible. Um, and, and so we, we talked about, like, what do we feel we need to really equip our people with? Um, and there were two things that really came up. Number one, a lot of us grew up in, a, um, in an environment where we read the Bible incorrectly. We just did not read the Bible right. Um, we read it as a rule book or an instruction book um, as opposed to what it really is, okay? Um, and so we've done some biblical theology or how to read your Bible classes. Uh, we wanted to expand on that a little bit. Um, and so what we decided to do with that is actually have a sermon series where we, we take everybody on a Sunday morning during our normal gathering through how do we read, your Bible, how, how, how do we read the Bible correctly. Um, and so we're actually going to work through a book uh, by Glenn Pobb, who's, who's uh, down near the Springs, where we're hopefully uh, going to get him to come up and speak for us. I got to meet with him a little while back and talk to him about his book. 
through that together in a sermon series. But the second thing that we felt was really, really important um, was the topic of mental health. And what we've seen is, you know, we've, we've directed our missional communities uh, to serve the most vulnerable in our community. And what happens over and over again is you're confronted with, um, with addiction. You're confronted with significant mental health problems in the, in the homeless community, in the foster care community, uh, in, in all of these different communities that we feel we're called to serve. And what we looked at is, um, man, we, we're not really well equipped to deal with some of that. Okay? Um, when we go through the, uh, the foster training process as foster parents, we talk for hours and hours and hours about trauma and how the brain works and how the brain processes trauma and what happens to an individual who's experienced trauma, how we've all experienced certain levels of trauma and how that has formed our brains in certain ways. And so what we want to do is we want to take our, our whole congregation through that um, and, and talk about that for a while. So uh, once a quarter, we're going to get together. We're going to cover these uh, these four topics. The first one is just kind of an introduction. It's the biology of the brain. How does your brain work, and how does trauma affect your brain? Um, and we've got some resources if you want to read up on that ahead of time. Carolyn Dunn is our speaker. I got to meet with her on Wednesday. Um, and, and as soon as we started talking, I, like I mentioned, here's, here's kind of what we're looking for. And she's like, oh, we talk about this and this and this. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what we need. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, poverty in the brain. Um, we're going to specifically talk about how poverty and especially homelessness affect mental health and vice versa. Okay, so so there's this there's this process that mental health leads to homelessness. Homelessness contributes to mental health, and everything just kind of um, just it's this it's this horrible cycle um, that prevents people from getting the help that they need. And how do we serve those kind of people? Um, and come alongside them and, and be in relationship with them well. Um, then the trauma of foster care. We're, we're looking for a speaker for poverty in the brain. Um, but the trauma of foster care, um, we, we are foster parents. We have another couple that's becoming foster parents. We want more people to engage with foster care. And so we're going to bring all of these foster kids into this environment. You guys have seen that. And you guys, especially some of you Sunday school teachers, like in preschool or elementary, you've had to deal with that. And what we want to do is give you some tools to, um, to help you understand what's going on and, and be, be prepared to, uh, um, to help them. Um, so we're going to talk about the trauma of foster care. Megan Nagel from Project 127, who's also a local counselor. Uh, she's going to come and, and be the speaker for that one. And the last one will be the addictive brain. What happens with addiction? How do we deal with addiction? Um, some of us who've, who've been um, working with the vulnerable have seen the results of addiction um, and how hard it is uh, to deal with that. So we're really excited for this. Um, in order this. Every, um, every one of our missional communities um, meets in some way on a Wednesday night, whether it's like your, your actual family dinner time or if it's like a, a basement time where your girls or your guys get together. But every missional community actually meets in some way on Wednesday nights. So once a quarter, we're going to suspend those Wednesday night meetings and ask you to come with us to, uh, to one of these equipping sessions. I think it will be very worth your while. There will be a minimal cost for it because we're providing food. Um, First Presbyterian, just down the street, has offered their facilities for free, um, which is great. They're, they're actually really excited about this as well, um, and they're going to send some of their people. We're going to invite just our community. Like, we'll give you guys um, first uh, first dibs at tickets, and then we'll open it up to um, whoever in our community thinks it would be valuable. Okay. Um, so a lot's going on. <laughs> um, uh, we, we are engaged in a lot of different things as a church.
church. Um, I am really, really excited. Like last last week, I got I, I got up and preached, and and I I just kind of shuffled in here, and I was sick and exhausted, and then I shuffled out and went and lay down for a long time. Um, this week, I'm feeling much better, and I, I just want to share with you the excitement we have about the things that are going on um, in this body that you might not be aware of. Okay. Let's jump into Isaiah. We're in Isaiah 33. We're going to go from Isaiah 33 to 35. It's, it's three chapters, I promise. I, um, I will do my best not to drag it out. Uh, but there's some really good stuff here. Um, and, and what I want to emphasize, um, the, the big idea, sorry I don't have it up here, but the big idea is the king will keep all his promises. The king will keep all his promises. And we're going to work through that idea. And, and I think the problem that we're going we're gonna to encounter is sometimes we, um, we mistake promises that are meant for someday, um, and we, we try to bring them into the here and now. And, and we're going to explain what that means. Um, uh, last week, we, in our discussion time, um, Jessica Sisher shared in her experience in Kenya um, the idea that we... We think of poverty along certain lines. We think of poverty along the lines of money and fiscal ability. And we don't think of poverty in relational terms. And so sometimes we're trying to fix a problem um, by importing our own idolatry into it. Okay? And what we're doing is we're offering a different gospel. And so what we want to do is we want to reorient ourselves to actually offer the gospel of the kingdom instead of some other gospel. So we're going to work through this. We're going to see what is the gospel, what, what promises exist, and make sure that when, when we're operating as a church, we want to be offering what God is offering, not something more, not something less. Okay? So we're in chapter 33, starting in verse 1. Um, and, and 33 through 35... Um, it's kind of a weird passage because here's, there's a bunch of um, short, kind of disjointed little um, little poems, all right? Um, and it looks like some of them he's actually just kind of reusing as part, maybe part of the liturgy or, or whatever. But he's he's taking all of these short little um, little statements or poems and he's um, and he's putting them all together in one. So if if your Bible is formatted like mine, you see chapter one is kind of set, uh, verse one is set apart from verses two through four, which is set apart from five and six and, and seven and eight are, are separated. So it's all of these just little chunks of wisdom um, that are all kind of shoved together that don't necessarily make one, like it's, it's not like, like you're reading Paul's epistles where he starts out, he's making an argument and he just traces this argument for chapters and chapters and chapters and everything is linked you know, to everything before. Um, it really is, here's something and then here's something and here's something. They kind of go together and they kind of don't. So first of all, verse 1 you destroy your you who, who yourself have not been destroyed. You traitor whom none has betrayed. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. When you have finished betraying, they will betray you. What Isaiah is saying here is that the tables are going to be turned on the destroyer and on the traitor. Okay, this per, these, these oppressive nations that are coming in, God will one day have his judgment on them. That's going to be an important topic. We're going to talk about um, that in a little bit because a lot of times um, we get impatient for this. You destroyer, you yourself will be destroyed. And I want that to happen on my timetable. And God's, God's going to come along later on and say, like, at this time, like, now God's going to act. Um, and it's on his timetable. 
Then he gets into uh, verses 2 through 4. Oh, Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Here's this plea to God from Israel for salvation from trouble that Isaiah is giving. Um, our self, be, be our all, every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. I my mic is cutting out a little bit. I'm going to um, go ahead and switch over to this one. If that's all right. Jump over to the handheld. And I'll go ahead and just mute this one if you don't mind. It'll be okay. All right. We'll keep trying with this one. Um, so verses 2 through 4, there's this plea to God for salvation. Um, and there's this idea of, God, you are able to do it. At the tumultuous noise, people's, people's flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered. God, you have the ability to do it. And so there's this plea for God to come and do what they know God is able to do. I know that if you raise your voice, the nations will flee. If you lift yourself up, the nations will be scattered. All right, then five through six. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. God, there's that idea of God lifting himself up, and then God is high and exalted. He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And what is the result of that? He will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And so often, this is what we're looking for. We, we love that idea of stability. Okay? We... And, and sometimes we will go to the wrong places to find that stability. If I think that I can get power from someone, I will, I will trade it in my integrity. I might trade it in you know, uh, my character in order to achieve stability, either nationally, politically, financially in my own life. It's so easy to trade important things for stability. And God here is saying, I am your stability. He will be the stability of your times. And what will the result be? There will be an abundance of salvation, of wisdom, and of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. All right. Verse 7. Behold, their heroes cry in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. Um, the idea here is um, the war heroes and the ambassadors of peace. Like, everything is failing. Not just, not just your warriors are failing, but also the people who are going out and being the peacemakers, they're not successful either. And it leads to this whole breakdown of society. In verse 8, it talks about the highways lie waste. The travelers, people don't even travel anymore. Um, infrastructure no longer works. Everything is broken down. Covenants are broken. Cities are despised. There's no regard for man. The land mourns and languishes. Lebanon is confounded and withers away. Sheer is like a desert. Bashan and Carmel shake off their leaves. Lebanon is known for its forests, its great trees. You, you have other passages where it talks about the cedars of Lebanon were brought down for this construction project. Um, and here Lebanon is withering away. Sheer in this fertile valley is like a desert. Everything, everything has gone wrong. Um, society has broken down. Infrastructure has broken down. The natural order has broken down. All right? So this is just complete uh, devastation across all of Israel. And so what, what happens in verse 10? Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. You conceive chaff. You give birth to stubble. Your breath is a fire that will consume you. The people will be as it burns to line, like horns cut down that are burned in the fire. So the crucial moment has now arrived. God rises up and delivers judgment, and God is described here as this consuming fire. Verse 14, who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? 
Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? God is this consuming fire. There's always one of my favorite third day songs. Is consuming fire. I don't know if you grew up listening to third day. Our God, He is a consuming fire. His flame, it burns down deep in our soul. Um, and there's this idea, um, it, it, it's, it's kind of weird that we're celebrating that peace, right? Um, but the reality is, um, God coming in judgment, uh, and a lot of times we struggle with the judgment of God, God's judgment is actually mercy on His people. You understand that? Um, in order for God to actually be merciful and act in, um, in response to the plea of His remnant, there has to be a judgment on the oppressors. Otherwise, God is not actually being merciful to His people, right? So when we run across these passages, it's like, man, God seems really mean. Think about what it would be like for your children to be oppressed, and how would you rise up to save them? Think about how it would be for your children to suffer, and what what would that what would that uh, um, invoke in you as a parent? How do you respond to that? If a, if another child is beating up your kid, um, you're you're going to stop them. And and we we've, we've had to deal with that. Like we've had you know foster kids in our house that you know wailing on our on our own kids. It's like we're going to separate you, right? We are not going to act violent, but we are going to protect our children, right? In order for God to actually be merciful to His people, it requires Him to actually judge the people who are oppressing them. They, there has to be judgment on the oppressor. There's no actual mercy. So the crucial moments arise. God rises up. He delivers judgment. He is this consuming fire. And uh, He will dwell in the heights. Verse 16, His place of defense will be the fortresses of rocks. His bread will be given Him. His water will be sure. Verse 17, your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. Man, that's encouraging, right? They will see a land that stretches afar. And what is the result of that? If your eyes actually get to see the king in his beauty, the result of that is what? Your heart will muse on the terror. Where is he count- who counted? Where is he who weighed the tribute? Where is he who counted the, the towers? You will see no more the insolent people, the people of obscure speech that you cannot comprehend, stammering in a tongue that you cannot understand. Basically what it's saying here is when you see this king and his beauty, all the trouble and the oppression will disappear. That terror that you felt from that foreigner who had invaded you, all of that will be gone. You will be rescued from that. You'll be rescued from the people of an obscure species that you can't comprehend. This foreigner that has come in to oppress you, God will deliver you from that. Your heart will muse on the scene. You'll think about that terror that you experienced, and it'll be like, where is that? It's gone. I don't see it anymore. And it goes on. Um, you see the king in his beauty. All the terror before fades away. And in verse 20 to 22, we get a picture of the coming kingdom. Behold, Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem. Uh, and on and on. But there the Lord and Matthew will be for us, a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with oars can go, nor majestic ship can pass. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Your cords hang loose. They cannot hold the mast from its place or keep the sails correct. You're like a ship that's not holding itself together. You're like a ship that's broken to pieces. Um, but 
you are going to um, you're going to take the spoils of the land anyway, because God is on your side. No inhabitant will say, "I am sick." The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. All right. So um, everybody there, um, sickness and sin will go away in the coming kingdom. You will no longer say, "I'm sick." You will no longer have to deal with sin because your sins are now forgiven. Verse, chapter 34, I'm not going to go line by line, but here is just a judgment on the nations, um, and it's, it's pretty severe, okay? Um, uh, he goes on in verse 2, the Lord is enraged against all the nations, furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction, given them over for slaughter, and he just kind of goes in details um, how he's going to do that. Like, some of this is, is pretty gruesome. The Lord has a sword, verse 6. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys and rams. <coughs> then he goes on, The Lord has the day of vengeance, year of recompense. The streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, her soil and sulfur, her land shall become burning pit. They're going to be completely wiped out like Sodom and Gomorrah. Over and over again, he's going to come and judge the nations. Then we get to 35. Um, and, and so what we have is, here's some, here's some promises of God, some pleas to God for, um, for justice, for God to come. Um, God gives some promises. Verse, uh, chapter 34, he's going to say, I'm going to deliver judgment on the nations. And now 35, here's what the kingdom is going to look like after that. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a crocus, shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. This is what Chas read um, this morning in the scripture reading. Strengthen your weak hands, make firm your feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And when we talk about the vengeance of God, a lot of times it's hard for us to understand that because we have not truly been oppressed. It's hard for us to really understand the vengeance of God. It's hard for us to understand some of the imprecatory prayers and songs where David is like, God, deliver us from our enemies. God, deliver justice. God, judge my enemies. And it's hard for us to actually um, engage with that because we don't, we don't have enemies that are oppressing us physically all that often. Okay? We, we, for the most part, have grown up in areas of privilege. Uh, we, we in society have uh, uh, power and privilege and status. And a lot of times we just don't understand what it means to be oppressed. And sometimes we go through those difficult things where, where maybe we are oppressed by uh, physical ailments. Um, maybe it's the, you know, the death of a loved one. And those are the times where we can enter into this and say, man, God, rise up in vengeance. Rise up and redeem your people. Rise up and save us. But imagine that you were an oppressed person. Like, let's, let's give ear to people who have suffered that oppression. Let's give them a voice and hear what they have to say about these passages. What does it mean for, to desire God to be a God of vengeance? It means God is going to come and deliver from oppressors. And we can't wait to see that. We desire that for those that are oppressed in our communities. And he goes on and on. This, this is a beautiful passage about uh, the coming kingdom. The, uh, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man leaps like a deer, the tongue of the mute sings for joy. All of our physical ailments will be, will be gone. The burning sand shall become a pool, thirsty ground springs of water, 
Everything is fertile, um, just over and over. And the highway shall be there, shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Hopefully that's encouraging to you, right? I mean, we, we make mistakes all the time. And here God is saying, even in your foolishness, I, I will keep you on the way. No lions will be there, no ravenous beasts. Um, the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Man, that's exciting. We will no longer be pursuing gladness and joy. We will obtain it. You know why? Because sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's the passage, 33 through 35. What does it mean? What, 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 what are we supposed to take away from the passage? The first thing that I want us to take away from the passage is that the promises of God are beautiful and powerful, but many of them are still future. The promises of God are beautiful and powerful, but many of them are still future. We're still waiting for that highway where we will return and actually obtain joy and gladness. Like we are offered it now. We get to taste it. We get this foretaste of the kingdom now in our relationship with Jesus Christ being filled with the Spirit. One day we will obtain it fully and there will be no more sorrow and sighing. If you live in this world, you know sorrow and sighing. A few of us uh, got to go to the funeral yesterday for Donna Helwig. Um, um, so, you know, uh, Randy and Sue Montgomery, Sue's mother, um, Caitlin Slocum has been here and is her grandmother. Um, just this family that, that I grew up around. Um, uh, Eric Helwig was a teacher at my school. Gloria Helwig was a coach at our school um, and just knew their family from way back and got to watch them. And Randy Montgomery was my science teacher growing up. I was about a year away from having Sue Montgomery as like a first grade teacher. That's how, that's how far back we go. Um, and so getting to watch this, um, whenever, whenever like a, um, a believer dies, there's this idea that, hey, we're going we're to celebrate their life, okay? And that's, that's a good thought. It, it never quite feels fully like that, okay? Um, if you ever go to a funeral, no matter how hard you try to make it a celebration, it is still a time of sorrow and sighing. Let's just admit that, right? Um, and in the midst of their celebration that, that their mother or grandmother had been taken up and, and was now in the presence of Jesus, and, and as much as they rejoiced in that, there was still a lot of tears. And there was still a lot of sorrow and sighing and brokenness. Right? The promises of God are beautiful and powerful, but many of them are still future. We're still going to experience some of that sorrow and sighing here and now. Secondly, the second thing that I want us to understand here is that the judgment of God is mercy on his remnant. The judgment of God is mercy on his remnant. When we come to scriptures, a lot of times we struggle with God's wrath and God's vengeance and God's judgment. Um, and a lot of times it is because we have, we have not ourselves been oppressed. Um, and so we hear the oppressor's cry who has, um, who has been enslaved, who has um, been oppressed, and we need to, uh, we need to hear that in, in their voice and look to God for the one who's he's going to deliver them. There's no way for God to be merciful to his people if he does not actually rescue them from their oppressors. All right. 
why do we struggle to believe this? Right? If these things are true, the promises of God are beautiful and powerful, but many of them are still future. The judgment of God is mercy on his remnant. Why do we struggle to believe that? Where, where does our struggle come in? Uh, the first thing is we grow in patience waiting for the kingdom. We grow impatient waiting for the kingdom. So when God says he is going to move in judgment, he is going to rise up and be this consuming fire, a lot of times we get too impatient for that. Um, and sometimes it exhibits itself as a desire for revenge. Right? We see people who are being oppressive, and, and sometimes we accuse God and say, why aren't you doing anything right now? Right? Why aren't you acting on this right now? We grow impatient waiting for the kingdom, and a lot of times we desire our own revenge. We want God to act on our timetable. We want God to exact justice that we think is good, and and we want God um, to operate on a system of justice that we approve. And a lot of times our idea of justice means the bad people just get punished. God's idea of justice is restoring peace and shalom. And sometimes that means that the oppressors get forgiveness and get brought into the kingdom where they can contribute fully. Right? Remember, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Why? Because they are oppressors in his mind. And God says, I'm actually going to redeem them. Jonah's like, I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and, and abounding in grace. I don't want the Ninevites to have that. And sometimes we look at the people who have oppressed us, the people who have done us wrong, and instead of desiring justice, we want revenge. One of the best examples, and we talked about this before, uh, is uh, Larry Nasser, um, who did horrible, horrible things to, um, to the young gymnasts at, at Michigan and uh, in the, um, uh, the, uh, the U.S. G- gymnastics team, um, and Rachel Denhollander coming, and, and in her statement, what her desire was, it wasn't just, I want you to be punished. I want you to suffer. It's, I want you to feel the full weight of guilt for what you've done so that you can turn to God and see His graciousness. Right? How in the world do we get to that point where we desire that person to experience the graciousness of God rather than just be punished for their sins? That is, that is what the kingdom is about. And sometimes we look at that and we say, here is the kingdom, look at this. And we also need to, um, we need to understand that um, that doesn't always happen. Okay? Um, what tends to happen, and, and Jacob Denhollander, Rachel's uh, husband, has talked about this a little bit. How hard it was to get justice on their behalf. And what he says is this. They had um, fame. They were, uh, they were white women who were attractive, who had um, social status, um, and, um, and they, had, they, they were presentable. They had everything on their side, and they still barely, by the skin of their teeth, were able to get justice. What happens to the people who are not able, like Rachel Denhollander, to go and get a law degree in order to pursue justice? What happens to the people that have suffered trauma and are not the presentable types? What happens to the people that don't have uh, uh, support around them to give them resources to go and pursue justice? What is the good news for them? 
The good news for them is that God is still on the throne. That God will one day rise up in judgment and judge the quick and the dead. And it's hard to be patient for that. It's hard to sit and wait and be patient and say, God is, God is in control. God will take care of this. We look at all the different examples. Uh, the, the recent one was Jeffrey Epstein, who did some horrific things and got off with a slap on the wrist six months in jail when he should be serving you know, multiple life sentences for what he's done. But he was a billionaire with all the right connections. Right? And it's easy to think, God, what are you doing? God is saying, at the right time, I will rise up and I will judge the quick and the dead. And it's so hard to rest in that. Now imagine if Jeffrey Epstein actually comes to, comes to the knowledge of God, realizes his sin, seeks reconciliation, and justice is done. Like, can, can, can we actually have a big enough imagination that somebody like that could experience the grace of God? We grow impatient waiting for the kingdom. We desire our own revenge. The second way we struggle with this is we tend to offer something other than the gospel. Okay? Um, we offer some other vision of the kingdom, or we, we have what, what, what a lot of people call an overrealized eschatology. All right? this, this, this is a big term where um, I'm taking the promises of the kingdom that are not yet and I'm saying that they can be applied to you right now. If you follow Jesus and do everything right, then you won't have sorrow and sighing right now. That's not the promise. That's not what the gospel is offering. If, if you have enough faith, then you can overcome any of these health issues, right? And a lot of times we, we put these on some of those um, prosperity preachers, you know, some of the famous ones um, who are telling you, like, if you give this seed donation, then God will turn it into, you know, you'll have millions. Look at this one person. He gave some money, and then all of a sudden you drive the Cadillac. And that's so silly to us. But a lot of times we operate with that mentality of, if I do these good things, God will be happier with me. As if the kingdom operates that way. Right? Uh, and, and we think that God is being gracious to us when things go the way we want them to go. So if um, I was talking to somebody, they, they had this near miss with their child where they thought, um, they thought they had this really bad disease and it turns out it was just a virus. And, it was, um, and God was merciful to us. Okay, yes, but if your child did have that horrible disease and had, you had to fight through that, God is so merciful to you. God is so gracious to you. And we survived this, this car accident, and we should have died, and it was just a near miss. God was washing over us. Yes. But if you had died in that accident, God was still washing over you. Right? Or um, uh, Tim Tebow just got engaged. Right? To, <laughs> to Miss Universe. Like, you can't make this stuff up. And his response is, man, I'm just so blessed. Because I'm engaged to Miss Universe. All right, let me tell all of you, those of you with partners, you are as blessed by God as Tim Tebow is, okay? But we have this mindset that when things go right, that's God's blessing, right? 
And what we're doing is we're offering another kingdom to people. Just like what, what, what Jessica was talking about last week, we come in and we're seeking to alleviate someone's poverty, but what we're doing is we're offering them our own vision of flourishing, which must mean financial stability and success. And we totally miss the fact that we ourselves tend to be impoverished as it relates to relationships or mental health or, or whatever. We ignore our own poverty and we, we see ourselves as these rescuers, these heroes who are going to help other people in their poverty. And what we're actually doing is we're offering them an alternate version of the kingdom. This is not what, um, what God is offering to us. The last way we struggle to believe, we minimize sin and its consequences. Right? So here God is judging uh, the sin of the nations, he is rising up like a consuming fire. Um, and so often, um, we tend to feel like our sin is not that big a deal. And God is saying he is the righteous judge, and it actually is a big deal. And the reality is, is if we are in Christ, and Christ took our own punishment for us, Christ propitiated on our behalf before God, satisfied that wrath of God. And so we, of all people, should take sin seriously. We minimize sin and its consequence. So how is Jesus the hero of all this? <coughs> how is Jesus the hero? The first way Jesus is the hero, he is, the, he is that king when it says you will see the king in the beauty of his glory. Um, Jesus is that king who we will see in his beauty. That is the hope that we have. And that was the hope that was offered yesterday at the funeral. That even though she's absent from the body, she is present with the Lord. She is in the presence of God. She is rejoicing in, in Christ's presence. Her faith has now become sight. Jesus is that king who we will one day see in his beauty. Secondly, Jesus gave us the spirit while we wait to see him in his beauty. And we get these glimpses through the power of the spirit of what the kingdom will be one day. Right? We look, at, we look at Rachel Denholder getting justice in, in her situation. We say, there's a glimpse of the kingdom. This is what it looks like for justice to occur. And for her to get up and say, I desire you to experience the grace of God by feeling the weight of your sin. Like, there's a glimpse of the kingdom. We get these other glimpses when we gather together. We go, we take the bread and dip it in the cup. We get this picture of the kingdom. When you gather in your MCs and you have this amazing meal. This is one of our favorite. Why, why do we eat together so often? Why do we go and we have these feasts on a regular basis? Because we are, we are getting pictures of the coming kingdom. And so often when the kingdom is described, it is described with food and wine and bread and all of these things overflowing. And in the middle of this broken world, we get this glimpse through the Spirit bringing us together to go and enjoy this meal, like what you are doing just by eating together is valuable. Jesus gives us the Spirit who offers us glimpses of this kingdom while we wait to see Him in His beauty. The third way Jesus is to hear, the judgment of God was satisfied in Christ. All of this judgment, if it is causing you fear, then you have not quite grasped justification. If you look at the Old Testament, you see God is this wrathful God, and you are afraid. And let's go back to the gospel. Let's see Jesus as the one who went to the cross, who suffered the wrath of God so that we no longer have to. And in our union with Christ now, we see God as Abba, Father. 
who loves us, who has adopted us. Let me tell you, like in, in adoption, I, I know other families in here who have adopted can, can attest to this. Like, I love my daughter. Like, I am overflowing. My, she, she got up in the middle of the night last night and, and just wanted some milk um, and then wanted to lay next to me. Um, and, and it was the middle of the night. It was really hard. And she was really picky about her milk. Um, you, you, she wanted a certain color cup. Um, she, she wanted to be the one to open the fridge. All of this stuff. You know what? I, I, I have trouble being angry with her. Like, it's, it's hard for me to be angry with her. She's my adopted daughter. Right? I feel the same way with my own children. This is what we have in our union with Christ. The judgment of God was satisfied in Christ. And so now our relation to Him is Abba Father. We go to Him and say, Dad. We can wake Him up in the middle of the night. Finally, all of the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. All of the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. Right? This kingdom will come and will see His beauty. The restored kingdom, all nature being restored to its rightful place, all of the sickness and sorrow and all of that going away, all of it is purchased by Jesus, is brought about by Jesus. We go to Revelation, and, and we need someone who's worthy to open the scroll. Who's it going to be? Nobody. And then a lamb appears that looks like it was slain, and he is worthy. And at the very end of it, we all get to sit down and feast with all. He's inviting us to that. So today, we're going to go, we're going we're to take our picture of that coming kingdom. We're going to take the bread, we're going to dip it in the cup, we're going to be reminded every week that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises. That that kingdom is coming, and while we wait for it, while we wait for sorrow and sighing to disappear, for all of these sicknesses, some of you, I know you're struggling. I know it's been a hard year. Some of you have suffered loss. You feel that sorrow. The Helwig family, the Montgomery family, they're suffering loss. And it's this, it's this bittersweet thing where the whole family is here. Randa got to fly in from Turkey, and it's great to all be together, and yet there's this weight hanging over. One day it's coming. It's coming. We get to be reminded of it today. Let's pray, and we'll, uh, we'll do our call to communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, for what you're doing in our church. Um, God, I thank you um, for all of the all of the stuff that we have planned, and yet, if you are not in it, um, it's, it's it's all going to be a waste. So, God, I pray that you would continue to lead us by your Spirit. I pray that you would uh, um, empower us. I pray that you would fill up all of these plans that we have. Give us wisdom as we make the plans. I pray that you would be present in everything we do, um, so that we are not just spinning our wheels. We're not just wasting our time but we are actually engaging with our Father. Um, God, we thank you so much that um, you, will, you will judge the oppressors, um, that vengeance will come, that we don't need to seek it on our own, that we can rest in the fact that you are the righteous judge who will one day judge the quick and the dead. Uh, but God, we rejoice when we do see justice happen. I pray that we will be reminded of that today. I pray that as we go and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, um, that it would just be a sweet reminder of what Christ has done on our behalf to bring us into union with you so that we know that one day all of these promises will come true for us. 
Give us the faith to believe that state will suppress any prayer.